Well, hello. Welcome back to the Memory Corps. It is a boiling 95 degrees outside at the uh, towards the tail end of May. Unexpected. Very unexpected. Uh, we've we've blown past sandals and socks weather and went right into uh, just straight up sandals weather. Sandals and socks. A little disappointing. Crocs and socks. Crocs and socks. Oh man, Crocs don't breathe. <laughs> they just don't. Um, we are currently enjoying uh, a red ale from a local brewery. So if any of you are in the area and you head over to uh, Elder Brewing in downtown Joliet, it's worth checking out. It is so good. So good. Yeah. So, um, since we last met and talked... The bird was the word. bird was the word. Um, You can hear in the background Dan's air conditioner going off because we do not have a recording studio. We're just two bums in a basement right now. We do not want to sit outside right now. No. No. I mean, I would. I decided to wear shorts, but... Well, just because it's just... Hearing the furnace going off is one thing. Hearing the air conditioner on the outside is another. You know, we're just hearing the fan on the furnace blowing cold air around the house. Yeah, it works for now. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we've we spent time stewing on Hour of the Wolf. And just... You mostly. Me mostly, yeah. Lots of stewing. Lots and lots of stewing. We're, uh... Yeah, we'll do, we'll do a breakdown. I think we're just debating how we want it to look, right? Yeah, there's a lot of... Um mental preparedness we have to do too because we have to read the book again Ugh. yeah fuck that was your idea unfortunately i know i know, I know. but it yeah it, it would be a good idea to give it another fair well, shake and well if we're gonna if we're gonna do it we gotta really take the time to break it apart yeah mm-hmm. but a lot uh, of note taking you know you know it's sort of the, one of the things we we're wondering about is you know how does this look like should we do an actual video of us talking because it was sort of because you, you had the idea of doing the half in the bag thing. Like, you know, <laughs> just sitting there and... Half in the bag. Hour <laughs> of the Wolf was a great Battletech novel. And then, of course, there was the idea of, like, well... You know, I like Lindsay Ellis a lot and her breakdowns. So, like, oh, Adam, what'd you think of Hour of the Wolf? I hated it. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um... I mean, I... AVGN it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, ABGN. It's, it's not the same though. It's you the, could you can adapt it. Yeah. Not, well, I mean, I it, could. ABGN's not been the same for a couple of years though. Now it's just true. Not true. the same. But um, yeah, just trying to think about what the format looks like, how to break it down. Because I mean, every time I think about it, and every time I read something about it, or someone asks a question about it, I just get angrier because it just gets dumber. Yeah. The the more. I mean, you stewed about it a lot more than I did, but the more even I think about it, um, it, it it's almost like we can reference that thread on the forums. Yeah, but like it just it, it bothers me more and more. It really what really got me too was just thinking about the whole clan ghost bear reaction to it. Yeah, you know, it's just it's such a stereotypical brush under the rug. Well, it's it's, it's lazy. Yeah, and that's pretty much where I was going to go with it. It's very lazy. It's like. If somebody read the cliff notes on Clan Ghost Bear, it's like they probably read a paragraph of it and just went, oh, Ghost Bear Totem, Bear Weight, Bear Attack when stepped on, you know? Yeah. Like, and that, that was essentially their reaction. And it, it drives me nuts because there's so much more to that clan. But, you know, in all fairness, there's so much more to Clan Wolf and Clan Jade Falcon than we freaking got in that book, too. Oh, totally. Totally. You know? Totally. Um, 
At least a diamond shark one made sense. Or sea fox. Sea fox, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, they would just be like, can we make bank on this? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. You can have Terra. Yeah. Ah, yeah, Hour of the Wolf. I mean, I, I, it makes me angry. Just think about it, it makes me angry. And then just, there's another thread asking about the old guard on there. So for those who haven't read Hour of the Wolf, there's a, a new Republic regiment. It's basically Pardo trying to reference the Napoleonic old guard because he's a military historian. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking air quotes on that one. Um, but the idea that the old guard exists or the idea that there would be an old guard is not the problem. The problem is that it's just another unit for the clans to just steamroll. You know, it's a, it's a scene that... that Pardo thinks is going to be epic, and it's not at all. I think even, a lot of it even happens off screen anyway. So what the fuck is the point of even doing it? Yeah, um, it's kind of like what you said. Um, when you read a source book, you get something different than if you read a novel. And in this novel, we didn't get anything we didn't essentially already know. Even though, like, it was a it was a it whole w- new battle. Be, yeah, it wouldn't be anything but, that wouldn't show up in a source book anyway. I know. Um, so yeah, I mean, not to, not to be too sidetracked about it because. I mean, there's there's plenty to bitch about in Hour of the Wolf. And oh boy, I'm a bitch about it. <laughs> it's it's okay. But you know what? You know who has way more personality than Alaric? Alexander Kerensky. I was going to say a sheet of A2 printer paper. Alexander Kerensky. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Alexander Kerensky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this We're finally doing the last clan episode yeah yeah <laughs> or at least at least there's sort of the the issue like with the the meta of of the clans and how they came to be you know their formation the problems mm-hmm. and pitfalls of their implementation um and now well, alexander kerensky yeah to to kind of begin if you guys have been living under a rock for the past 30 40 years alexander kerensky is arguably uh and it's pretty heavy on the arguably side, the biggest character of Battletech. Yeah, I mean, he's, in general, there's a pretty good positive attitude towards him, especially if there's sort of a surface-level knowledge of Battletech. Um, he is well-regarded amongst both the Inner Sphere and the clans. Uh, not so much the periphery, fair enough, but... Um, that's only a surface level. There's a lot more to break down about it and a lot of you know, his character flaws, which is fine. It's fine. That's the whole point of it. I'm not going to hate him because mm-hmm. he's just a character, right? It's just this is what he was written to be, what he was written to do, and that's and that's fine. But it's worth taking a look at it and um, pointing out his, his flaws because mm-hmm. he's not perfect. No. And, and- he's kind of shitty, too. Which is okay, because that's the point. Yeah, it, it's totally the point. Uh, he's uh, definitely... Yeah, he just... He, he drives the universe so much. Like, even in the cartoon. Like, he's basically a curse word. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, what in the name of Kerensky? <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, the, the... Better than Blitzking, I guess. Oh, God, he's better than Blitzking. And, anyway, we'll stay, we'll stay on track. Oh, okay. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. I see your, your face is turning mm-hmm. red. You know, he had that other short story. He had put some other... Kur- Kerensky. S- some other Kerensky. stupid swear. Kur- Kerensky. Goddamn dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my fault. Kerensky. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, the main point behind um, Kerensky, when the universe first started, was clearly to sort of evoke this 
Arthurian mythos, right? He's gone. He took the Star League with him. He'll be back when the Inner Sphere needs him most. That that Arthurian myth. He's mm-hmm. gone to Avalon. Uh, yeah. And that, that works. But, of course, the more you delve into it, and maybe not so much the original Star League source book, although it's in there, but especially with the Liberation of Terra series and the Operation Klondike, uh, there's a lot more to, to see. And, you know, overall, and I think you'd agree too, Dan, right? Is it, Kerensky is a very morally upstanding person. Like, he does his best to be just a, a good guy, right? Yeah, he definitely tries hard at that. And that's part of, if not one of his biggest flaws as a commander. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. it, it really makes him sort of a pushover. It, it does. And uh, you know, you contrast Kerensky with particularly the Star League generals during um, the reunification war, um, particularly, I think it's Amos Furlow, who, by the way, his portrait is based off of Michael Ironside, I think from uh, maybe like a screen grab from Starship Troopers. Michael Ironside's great actor, <laughs> amazing voice actor, the voice of Darkseid from the DC animated universe. Um, not that shit with uh, Zack Snyder and Justice League. That was goddamn awful. But, 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 anyway, um, you know, Amos Furlow, I mean, he was, you know, he was known as a baby killer. I mean, he, war crimes abound when Amos Furlow is in town. It gets, it gets messy. And that wasn't Kretzky's bag. Yeah, it's kind of strange how war crimes seem to follow the poor guy. It really yeah, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he is a general, but... Well, maybe not in that, in that sense, but yeah, yeah, like, it's definitely really strange. I mean, I mean, from your perspective, do you remember anything about how good Kerensky was tactically? I mean, I don't think it's really been discussed about or shown... His abilities no. on a tactical level. No, it, it really hasn't. I, I mean, going through the old Star League book, it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. You know, like, and, then, and that, that happened. Wasn't, that wasn't Krensky's job, I suppose, really, on, on that that deep down of a level. I mean, his was more pointing people in directions and telling them to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, to me, the impression I got, and, this, and mind you, I only went through Operation Klondike and the original Star League book, because that's all I had. I know you went through... The liberation, you know, liberation of Terra, of Terra yeah. um, was that he, his decisions were more based off the people that he was surrounded by. And the people he surrounded himself with weren't like your, they weren't yes men. Yeah. You know, yeah. which, which the, made the, him. The Chevalier in particular is, is willing to challenge him in spots. Yeah. And he, it made him a good leader. In the sense that he had the right people backing him at the right time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we'll get into it later, but that's part of the reason why the exodus kind of went south. Yeah. You know, because that was probably the only time he was completely in charge of something. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Um you know, I look at the Star League Defense Force as being very similar to the armies of, of ancient Rome, the Republic, and the Empire. Uh, you know, they're described as having an almost endless logistics chain. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be good at war 
if you have essentially nearly unlimited resources or at least resources beyond your opponent. Um, you know, with Rome, Rome doesn't have a lot of really talented generals. I mean, outside of someone like Scipio Africanus or Julius Caesar, their really main goal is just to wear their opponents down. I mean, you get to, say, Carthage, uh, who had Hannibal. You know, they had to have a Hannibal to be that at least as successful as they were. Mm-hmm. You get to the Hellenistic states, you know, their usual modus operandi was to, you know, start a campaign, have a couple of fights, but when they have a major fight that involves getting the royal armies together, if you lost that fight, you tended to dust your hands of it, sign a peace treaty, because you didn't want to lose too many men. You lose too many men, you're going to damage your economy too much. Um, you may not have enough individuals then to garrison the rest of the state if you pull men from other parts of the state. Rome didn't fucking care. Rome was like, ah, so what? Yeah, we got yeah, plenty absolutely. of babies. We'll just throw the. We'll just. I mean, if you're on the kids, you know. Yeah, I mean, but if, if you're to, it, it, it further, you know, glosses over your point. Um, if you're commander of the Star League, I mean, that's that's a lot to bear on your shoulders. You are the strongest army. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you can afford to just throw people at things, but you can yeah. only do so much because you have the other successor states basically watching every move that you make. Mm. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, with the reunification war, it was easy. I think with the periphery uprising and then uh, liberation of Terra, mm-hmm. with the Operation Chieftain, it was a different story. Um, they didn't have quite the access to those resources, but you have a command structure and a strategic and tactical education that's based around almost having limitless supplies. Yeah. And it, I suppose it really doesn't matter that we don't see... Kerensky's tactical abilities at that level because he came up in an era when there wasn't major wars. I mean, there were the hidden wars uh, and other factors that involved the Star League Defense Force being in play. But, you know, if you're part of the the central command structure of the SLDF, I mean, you're not you're not out there on a day to day level doing stuff. No. Um, so you don't need to know how to be good at that. But it, here, here's the thing about him, too. He. At least this is what I got out of it, too. He never wanted the position that he got. Yeah. You know, and that that's partly because of his, you know, his main personality flaw. He's generally a good guy, you know, like responsibility. It's not that he couldn't. I mean, well, you know what? That's probably why he couldn't handle it so well, you know. Uh, but where was I going with it? He. um Well, you know, and to back up a little bit, I mean, to your point, there is that short story. I don't know if there was ever any further parts to it. Mm -hmm. It might have been one of those things that just died in the vine like so much else has on the IP. Um, But there was, was, I think Lauren Coleman did a short story. It was about Kerensky's time at the Nagel Ring. It was like, I think, you know, a fresh-faced student. And, you know, his friendship with, um, I think, Michael Steiner, who was going to become Archon. Yeah, that was referenced in that book that that was one of his good friends. Yeah, and and, and that's, you know, you know, or he was, he ended up dying, I think. Uh, I can't remember how that how that timeline worked out. But, you know, basically the, the future archon of the Commonwealth was a professor at the Nagel Ring. And Kerensky was learning from him. And, you know, Kerensky being a descendant of someone, another Kerensky that had saved the life of a first lord. Got all these perks. It's just like the family in perpetuity got all these perks. And, of course, Kerensky took advantage of it. And that's where he met... Um, 
But that's where it kind of fate intervened and they said, oh, well, you got really good brain scans, you have all these skills, you should become a mech warrior. And I think the end of that story was him basically starting training to become a mech warrior. Uh, and it, it had like the usual sort of like high school slash college, you know, movie tropes of, oh, there's the bully and oh, he beats the yeah. bully up and, <laughs> you know, is what it is, right? Um, but he, he didn't even want to be a mech warrior. It wasn't even on the, on the list of things he wanted to do and it, he fell into it. Yeah, I can't blame him. He had a good mech, though. He had an Orion, right? You can't go yeah. wrong. You can't go wrong with the Orion. You know, it's kind of funny. Like, that that whole setup is about as lame as it is with the whole setup about, like, these stories about clan warriors, because those are even all the same. They are. <laughs> they really are. They really are. Trial, trial, trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a clan, if you're, if you're reading a clan story, you're going to see, it probably opens up with the trial of position, so you can trial to get into a unit. And then at that point, then there's a trial afterwards to see if your unit can participate in another trial. And then there's a trial after that to, I don't know, conquer some objective. And there's another trial to get a blood name. So you trial to get a trial. So you can trial to trial and trial till eventually trial to win the whole trials. That's clan. Yeah. And then there's some other jerk clan that gets in your way too. Jeez. That doesn't help either. You know, it is what it is. It's. Uh, at least Kerensky's story is interesting now. Yeah. Yeah. He. Um, so and then, and then, yeah, so to, to swing back, you know, um, we don't really see much of Kerensky on the sort of the tactical level. Like what no. we would associate on you know, the clever moves, the, the, the bait and switch, the feints. The way to the clan see him. As right. this like esteemed awesome general, I think you know, even the, the back, great father, even the back of the Star League book, and in that time of great deeds to the greatest warrior of all time, Alexander Kerensky, right? Yeah. So even in the back of the original Star League book, they're talking as he's the greatest warrior, and we know we know he's a good mech pilot. We we know that. Yeah. But obviously, that doesn't necessarily translate to his his actual leadership skills, and it does seem that overall, you know, Kerensky's a good guy. You know, he's someone you would want to be your boss. You'd have he, a beer with him. Yeah, he's going to treat you well. He's going to treat you well, and he's not going to. Um, well, we know he's an academic, so we know he's intelligent. We know he thinks about things on a deeper level. One of he, his first acts as commander, too, because he did inherit it uh, when his sort. I would say like his mentor yeah. stepped down. Like mm-hmm. she actually stepped down because she couldn't handle all of the corruption. In the ranks of, you know, the whole Star League Defense Force. One of his first acts was to basically go through and weed all of that out. Yeah. So, like, he did... He did learn... Well, it's not that he learned that, because we'll get to that later, why he was a real shit learner. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was not good at learning anything. Uh, but, like, he, he could definitely... He was definitely able to restructure and earn the place that he had as... Probably the moral compass of the SLDF. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just by his actions alone. Yeah, he really comes off as someone who uh, is fair and progressive, and you know, there was a, a cool thing on NPR about this, or the idea of retributive justice versus restorative justice. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you, you know, there are definitely you know crimes and slights against individuals that you know, deserve harsher punishments, but you know, he doesn't seem like the guy that would give you just a slap on the wrist, but he's not the guy that like court martial you and cut your head off. Right. Yeah. He, he would 
find obviously some middle ground. Um, and so people that deserve promotion or accolades got those accolades and that people that you know, deserve some sort of punishment or correction got the right amount of correction. Um, mm-hmm. Cause he, he still understood the value. Yeah. Cause even, even after, after they retook Terra, um, he didn't immediately, you know, kill Amaris. I mean, they could have stepped on him with a bug. He could have. Yeah. Um, and he, there was a lot of things he could have done that he didn't do, but, but I mean, despite being probably an all around a plus guy, you know, just a, just a good person. Um, he has some pretty major flaws that seem to keep coming up that are the same problems over and over and over again. Yeah. For a man who was mentored essentially about corruption and learned it firsthand, he didn't learn shit because he he should have seen that with the Maris from day one. He had us. I'm, I'm sure he, he had his suspicions, but he was yeah, such a good guy that he gave him the benefit of the doubt. He saw it, but he didn't do anything about it. And he couldn't even. And it, this is like way in the future of where we're going to get. But he couldn't even see that with his own kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that you know, Nicholas Kerensky was, a, you know, ended up being a, a. He was a bigger dick. Yeah. He was a kind of a, a fascist piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Um, like Ryan Smoke Jaguar. And I think, I think. Um, I mean, oddly enough, of all the authors, right? Pardo, right? Pardo <laughs> wrote the biography for the Clan Wolf source book on, on Nicholas Kerensky. Really? And he even said that, yeah. We, hey, we, side note, he was also the editor for Star Lord. Yeah, and, and, I and, just and, learned and, that. And additional writing credits. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, oh, that's going to be a fun episode. But, but yo, Pardo, Pardo you know, came out and said that, you know, all the way from the beginning, I mean, they were aware and they were planning out that, that Nicholas Kerensky was going to be not okay in the head. Um, and that he was kind of a kind of a bit totally a lot entirely <laughs> yeah. a monster um and you know obviously with the way they were writing things it was give me one of those things that they're going to slowly reveal this stuff throughout the years throughout different products um but yeah Kerensky Alexander Kerensky has a problem of not recognizing or foreseeing fairly obvious problems and confronting them or putting a stop to them early yeah he, he lets things sort of sit and fester until they become an abscess that bursts open yeah like when um originally when the whole cameron fiasco happened i'm not talking about the assassination yet uh but when uh richard cameron was basically in power he the originally they wanted Kerensky to take the spot. To be regent, yeah. Yeah, and he didn't want it. No. He didn't, and you know, that again, because he's generally a good guy. He didn't want the responsibility. It was too much for him. But the pressure put him in that position. And I almost feel like that, that right there, not the assassination of Richard Cameron, but that moment right there was basically what sealed the fate of the Star League, putting all of that on his shoulders. Because I almost feel like the House Lords knew that just just by his track record alone up to that point, that putting him in a position like that was going to doom the Star League. Well, and they probably they probably knew that one he was busy enough being commanding general of the SLDF. Oh yeah. Which obviously, I mean, the thing is, okay, he's not out there doing drills and doing push ups like everybody else is, but he's got a lot of a lot of 
on his plate. You know, a lot of paperwork and logistics. There's probably just a whole mess of problems yeah. he has to do. I mean, with. at that point, he was basically made into a celebrity too. And they just there's no way he could do both jobs at once. Uh, and they probably saw it to their benefit because they saw that Richard Cameron was was nutty. There's probably enough rumors that are making their way around. Uh, Joffrey before Joffrey. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, maybe not as bad, but still, still. <laughs> and there. speaking of BattleTech, you know, Clovis being Tyrion before Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the House Lords probably saw it as a really good opportunity to take advantage of the disarray and the weakness in the Starly government to build up their armies and take advantage of a lot of different opportunities, you know, covertly and overtly that wasn't possible under stronger first Lords. Um, which was, which was, uh, disappointing, but understandable considering their history. Yeah. I think that's a pretty big reason why Amaris was able to take the spot that he did too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course Amaris put on a show too. Oh, absolutely. You put on a show of being a, it's kind of funny too because you know, we're in this era, right, where we're seeing a lot of anti-Asian American hate crimes, mm-hmm. and you know when when the Starlink book was written and a lot of the BattleTech stuff was written in the eighties, there was probably still a lot of really uncomfortable Asian stereotypes and tropes, and it was pretty clear that what Amaris was doing was trying to play up to something that we would recognize as being one of those tropes. Yeah, you know, oh, he's just being a—he's just a goofy, fat Asian dude. You know, he's got a you know funny haircut and he wears a bib. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it turns out really he's—he's one—he's—he's he's brilliant. Although the probably the stress of everything turned him psychotic after you know being oh, under sure. siege for ten years. I mean, you can you can look at his past and just see like the hell this man was dragged through. Yeah, his family. You know, just because of the Cameron family. Yeah. And I'm not saying the guy was right for what he did. No, But no. the motivations were definitely there. Yeah, the motivations were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you start to see you know, this issue of you know, Kerensky not taking the job of Regent seriously and not really being able to say, hey, uh, I'm not doing this because I actually can't do this, which also shows up later. You're not knowing mm-hmm. when to give something up. Um, but this, this problem of not confronting things has shown up multiple times. I mean, it shows up. With the Ameris coup and uh, Cameron, Richard Cameron being awful, you know, not really being willing to, willing to replace him, um, not foreseeing the difficulty with the First Lords, not foreseeing the need to provide a strong and stable government for reconstruction post Ameris coup, the problems with the Exodus and not having an actual place to go and just wandering. <laughs> you know, core word of the inner sphere for a year and a half. It's <laughs> like, don't know where we're getting, where we're getting. Don't, don't know where we're going. It. You guys just got to stay patient on your, your fucking drop ships and yeah. your warships for a year and a half. Um, and then, and then obviously with not having secession planned for the star league in exile and not realizing that his son's a piece of shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, where do we start? I mean, do we go backwards or do we go forwards with this? Should we go backwards? We'll go backwards because... We'll go a little backwards. Yeah, because yeah, I think, I think obviously, with what happened with the SLDF and Exile and the Pentagon Civil War, I mean, that's easier to kind of pinpoint some of the problems with it, right? And yeah. That, that comes down to um, a number of different things. I mean, one, trying to homogenize things is a bit tricky because you've got, obviously, a number of different nationalities that are all sort of piling up and 
being resettled and you know things aren't easy things are hard and it's easy to get grievances when things aren't going your way but i think the big thing is is that much like game of thrones season eight <laughs> with uh the showrunners of that travesty much like Hour of the wolf um <laughs> you've got the problem of Kerensky's obviously showing burnout. He shows burnout probably about right at the end of the you know of, of the Terran hegemony. Yeah. He's showing burnout there, but he knows Nicholas, his son, is not all right in the head. I mean, mm-hmm. he even has the the Eden brain he, fever, right? Yeah, I mean, he and you know, on top of that too, Nicholas was at such a young age at the time that he did witness. A lot of the war crimes that Kerensky did, I'm pretty sure it was something that um, Alexander really didn't like to talk about too much. But reading like some of the treatment that even like prisoners got, mm. you know, on Earth, you know, mm. I I would think that's a pretty big reason why Nicholas was as crazy as he was. Yeah, he was, he was luckily really damaged as a child. Oh yeah, because he was born in I think 2764. So mm-hmm. he was only a couple of years old when the coup hit. But I mean, of course, after all of that, Kerensky's going to be tired. I mean, you got to yeah. clean up that whole mess. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he, you know, he didn't know when to to call it quits. And mm-hmm. then, as a result, with the Pentagon Civil War, there are a lot of issues that are brewing. He's not confronting those issues. Um, but he was how old was he when he died? He was, he like was 100. over 100. Yeah. He was over 100. So he knows he's not going to be around forever. He has a heart attack. You're getting ready to head off the conflicts in the Pentagon before it came on the full-blown civil war. But mm-hmm. there was no leadership set up for afterwards. No, there wasn't. And that's kind of what Nick was trying to establish behind his back. Yeah. So, like, the backtrack a little bit. The entire exodus was basically just a random idea thrown out by uh, the Chevalier. The Chevalier, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he just decided to run with it, yeah. you know. And because I almost think because of that, you know, the right preparations weren't made. It's almost like he forgot that if they were. It seemed to happen in about six or seven months, I think. Yeah, they. I mean, they were really lucky to get to the Pentagon worlds as fast as they did. You know, it, yeah. it just seemed like it happened just at the neck of time. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, like the whole time, you just just even reading about it in Operation Klondike, Kerensky really had no idea how to deal with it yeah. to the point where the true colors of Nicholas really started to shine and he couldn't really pick that up. He was such a like shithead to Andrew. Yeah. yeah whole and trip that, too. And that really shows up in the at least the first book of the finding the clans trilogy mm-hmm. you know i read that years ago because it was out on battle Corps, um because it was originally public so it was written in english translated to german published in germany Fuck, why i don't fucking know <laughs> and then um they released the first part on on battle Corps, and they just released the first part again as part of the kickstarter but the other two parts i think we're going to get. I just don't know when. Mm-hmm. Um, and my assumption is, like a good novel, like how Battletech novels used to be, we'll probably find out if Nicholas Kerensky really did uh, plan an assassination of his brother. Uh, it's possible, yeah. But yeah, um, you know, we, we, we do see that Alexander is particularly hard on Andrei, especially with the Prince Eugene incident. Um, but he he's not planning what leadership is going to look like after his death. 
or when he steps down. Uh, and then when it does happen, it causes a big fight in the Pentagon amongst the active SLDF members, which is one of the things that really starts off a whole civil war. Because now it's no longer you know, citizens and retired personnel who are fighting against what they have as grievances or what they perceive as problems in the new society. But now there's the active SODF is fracturing. Yeah. And you know, that, you know, again, that, that's a huge problem. You're and, also expecting a bunch of people in the military to go without a leader and to live like civilians. Yeah. You know, which can, not a lot of people can move from that. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Especially it's, with the, it was essentially a military dictionary dictatorship the whole time yeah benevolent because you know alexander again alexander kerensky is overall an upstanding guy but when you lose that central figure where do you go yeah you get problems because you don't have a, a plan of succession planned out kind of like another alexander <laughs> kind of like alexander the great um but then yeah so then you've actually before that then you're in the exodus itself right because it was a couple of years where things were looking good in the Pentagon, so in the Pentagon before the Civil War set off. But you have the whole Exodus, right? So, like you said, it just it's a spur of the moment thing, and they he had some idea, some rough idea, based on previous Starlink exploration of of the coreward inner sphere, uh, the coreward galaxy. Yeah, he, they didn't completely wing it, but they didn't, they didn't have a destination because they didn't have they didn't say like, okay, this is the path we're taking. It's going to be roughly. You know, a year and a half to get there. And you could say, well, okay, what if people, you know, break off and they get tired of it because they have a destination you have to worry about operational security. But, you know, Kerensky couldn't even give them a time frame on it. No. And so about a year in, you have the Prince Eugene incident where the Prince Eugene, named after a World War II uh, German battleship. The more you know. You have that happen, uh, which is a problem. Now, granted, I, I'm not surprised that Kerensky didn't see Nicholas's manipulation of the situation because mm-hmm. he knew it was going to be a problem. Uh, and also, um, Jennifer Winson, yeah, uh, who, by the way, is the uh, illegitimate bastard daughter of incest between Richard Cameron and one of his sisters. Wow. There's a lot of Lannister shit going uh, on. That's that's a uh, pretty unsavory. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. So you you have that. But you know, Alexander should have seen. Hey, we're in the middle of deep space, and we have a bunch of warships and and millions of individuals. Morale is going to be a problem unless they have some time frame of what's happening. Because a year and a half in deep space—that's a long time. I mean, for fuck's sake. We went like two weeks during the pandemic and people were bitching about not getting haircuts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh man. Can you can you man yeah, like can you imagine just being on a on a ship for an entire year? Yeah. You know? And in cramped conditions. Cramped like, conditions. We're, we're not talking about like we're all in individual houses. Yeah. Like yeah. you are probably close to being shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, it's tight. It's, it, tight. it's real tight. And those those uh, air scrubbers can only work so hard and so effectively after. So oh long. yeah, they were talking about the smells on on some of the ships. Yeah, you know when they when they first touched down on was it Strandamecti? 
Oh no, no, it would be one of the Pentagon. So I, I think oh, it was, no, no, I think yeah. it was Eden. Eden, yeah, yeah, Eden, Eden. Yeah, like they they were talking about the stench off of uh, one of the one of the ships. You know, they're like, how how could we survive this for so long? Yeah. Now that we have fresh air, it's just like the whole attitude like changed. Yeah. You know. See, so, so that, that's obviously another problem, right? Um, you should have foreseen that that was going to be an issue, and and he, you know, we didn't. They just well, he's figured, oh well, I'll tell them to do it, and they'll just do it. Which is like, no, no, that's not. In the military, yeah, maybe. Military, yeah. But it's still not, away with it for not really how good, how good leadership works. Hey, you're talking about civilians. I mean, even, even in the military, I mean, that long? That's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. Because I say, I mean, say, I mean, you're in a wet Navy. Like, say you're in the Navy. You can at least go up, up on top of deck and get fresh air, right? Even yeah. if you're in a fucking submarine, you have to surface eventually. I mean, right? you could try on a jump ship, but you're not going to get very far. Or you will get really or far. Or you will get really far. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay, working backwards, you know, we, we talked about the, the issues of the Pentagon Civil War and see there would be problems and not having a succession of leadership or a chain of command set up. Um, and I, to, I think to an extent, right? I mean, he knew that Nicholas, while probably having a, a cult of personality developing around Nicholas, because Nicholas was a sociopath, he probably knew how to charm people. No, knowing that was going to be an issue, you know, he didn't say yes or no to Nicholas being a leader. Mm-hmm. Then you have the issue with the Exodus. We also talk about Amaris. The biggest problem for me is the Terran hegemony, right? Um, because he left all those planets to just get fucked. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? It is. It really is. It is. All so, based of off of one of his one of his uh, men below him just throwing out a random idea. Just let an entire nation basically crumble. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And for those of you who aren't aware, you know, when it comes to, to the Star League, when the Star League is formed, because it's all Richard Cameron's, or no, um, ah, Ian? Ian Cameron's. Yeah, it's all Ian Cameron's baby. You know, what he says to help the other member states, you know, join is that the Terran hegemony armed forces will become the new core of the Star League. Uh, so all the Royal Regiments are all raised from the Terran hegemony. They have the best gear, access to the best logistics. But what that means is that all the Terran hegemony has to defend itself is now its militia. You know, individual planetary militias. The problem is after the Ameris coup and the development of the Ameris Empire, the militias are pretty much all, you know, wiped clean you know, they're just they're just devastated they're, there's nothing left of them except for a few holdouts on a couple of planets so now you have a whole state with no standing army after the exodus no one to defend them and they're just left open to the ravages of the succession wars as the house lords try and, and pick planets off which is really gross mm-hmm. so you have you know hundreds of planets the most technologically developed planets, but now have their infrastructure completely trashed because of the, the Civil War, you know, reduced to, to nothing, uh, are left just open for invasion uh, by the neighboring powers, which really fucking blows. I mean, I would, if I was a hegemony planet, I would be absolutely furious at Kerensky 
Totally furious. And, and you know, the reason why I call it a civil war, uh, and it's explained in the, it might be explained in the Star League book, but I know it's definitely explained in the Liberation of Terra books, is that because Richard Cameron was so awful, um, after the coup, there are open elections, and I do not believe they were actually manipulated. I think that Richard Cameron was so unpopular that they just said, okay, sure, you can, Maris, you can be in charge. But because the Terran hegemony is a heritable, heritable, damn it, too much beer, hereditary <laughs> monarchy, it can no longer be the Terran hegemony because it's not a Cameron in charge. So therefore, it then has to become the Ameris Empire. So because it was done democratically and not necessarily through usurpation, it becomes a civil war uh, versus just fighting the usurper or whatever terminology you want to use. Ameris, the usurper. <laughs> um, Rimworlds 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it, you keep going back to it is, is Kerensky with his, with his exodus left the entire Terran hegemony basically defenseless and open to predation from the rest of the inner sphere. Yeah. Doesn't make the house lords look as bad. I almost feel like at that point, it, they were just a way for him to put blame on something else to yeah. justify his actions. And it, you know, not to say it was going to be easy. By no means would it be easy. Uh, but there were certain things that he could have done and been more aggressive about when it came to rebuilding the, the civilian structures and the governmental institutions of the hegemony post-Operation Chieftain. Uh, and I can't remember if he pardoned. I think he didn't. I think the idea was that anyone who, who served during the Ameris Empire in a, in a form of government was banned from further operation in government, um, which meant that a lot of people who were career civil servants could no longer be career civil servants. So then anyone who gets into government doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Because um, it turns out, yeah, I, I mean, definitely, okay, you know, we live in the U.S., Congress blows, the Senate in particular blows, but being a civil servant is not easy. I mean, if you're a person working in Census Bureau, the IRS, the Department of Health and Human Services, there's a lot of stuff you have to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're on the outside and it, it, it's frustrating that you're not getting the service we want. But in general, it's not easy stuff. And there's a lot of things to be aware of. And you can't just walk in and think you're going to do it better. And I think that was the case with the Terran Gemini. And so I think a lot of plants were like, oh, you know, yeah, we'll just go with the, the house next door yeah sure you know Jacono's combine good enough whatever and so i know a lot of planets were either being covertly conquered or they were voting to leave the terran hegemony and join you know a neighboring successor state again probably because kerensky didn't really put into action anything really serious in terms of rebuilding. Yeah. Well, i mean money was a problem too because none of the successor problem. states wanted to help him even mm -hmm. though he basically took out the ameris threat for him True, true. No, that that played a pretty big factor too. Yeah, I think I think some successor states did you know more more covert support, and I think some planets did support. Uh, for example, I know Draconis Combine didn't want to openly support them because the coordinator was worried about I think his nephew whether or not he was held hostage or dead. Yeah, there were there were little things like that here and there. I know Kenyon you know. Merrick had a real big grudge against Kerensky 
Uh, he hated Kerensky, so he did his best to prevent the SLDF from doing anything based in the Free Worlds League. Uh, but the one thing you don't really think about, it was a good five years after the end of the fighting on Terra in Operation Exodus. You know, So yeah, okay, sure, the House Lords stripped Kerensky of his position, but... I mean, if the Star League is gone, or at least effectively gone, wouldn't those Star League troops, or at least the Royal Regiments, default back to the Terran hegemony, right? Like, whatever's left of it, at least. Yeah. You know. And I mean, everyone said, oh, well, you know, he didn't want the SLDF to become weapons of the new war or something like that. Because, I mean, there were, there were SLDF regiments leaving behind the SLDF and joining up with House Lords. It's where, like, the Crucis Lancers came from and a lot of mercenary yeah. commands. But, you know, at the same time, so what? You know, get your shit together. Or if you don't want to do it, find somebody else to do it. Because the Chevalier was going to do it. We know the Chevalier was going to do it because we have the Empires of Flame uh, free RPG supplement that her Beas put out. Yeah. Right, and, and it, it, that basically the, the setting for that is that Kerensky gets assassinated before announcing Operation Exodus, and the Chevalier says, "Okay, I guess I'm in charge now," and then reconstitutes the the Terran Gemini armed forces, and he does a better job. He does a better job. <laughs> he does a better job. Yeah. Which again proves our point. I, I mean, I know it's like you know, just like a like almost like a fan thing. Yeah. at this point you know but it, it just shows like even behind the scenes they at least knew that Kerensky wasn't a really good decision maker on his own yeah. and hey if okay fair enough he's burnt out I get it You're yeah burnt, he's burnt out I'd be burnt out too no one to step aside you yeah. know don't leave a whole you know, interstellar state defenseless because you're burnt out and decide to take your ball and go home yeah they still had the most warships of any... I think they had more warships than the other five successor states combined. Shit, they still had a bigger military than any individual successor state. Yeah. Kretzky could have just said, hey, I'm sitting on the Terran hegemony, and that's it. Any of you fuckers... Try me. Try me. Try it. Try it. Come at me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, I dare you. Yeah. I'll go smoke Jaguar on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Little ahead of its time, a little, little bit. <laughs> I, I one of the things I, I bet's not going to happen though in this ill clan era, although it'd be amazing if it did, is because you know, Kerensky's legacy in the Terran Gemini worlds and probably on Terra itself is not great because of what he did. Man, it would be amazing if there were a bunch of gorillas on Terra after the events of Hour of the Wolf that just decided, nah, no, fuck you guys. And they bomb the Kerensky Chapel. Oh, yeah. And it just, just totally destroy his body and the whole chapel. Yeah, watch the other clans really not care. Yeah. They <laughs> think, well, what do they do? Do we do we go nuts and orbitally bombard all of Terra? Or do we take a step back and realize that... Oh, well, I mean, the Jaguars are back. Jaguars are back. Yeah, the Jaguars are back. Jaguars are back. Or we decide, the, you know, the whole population can't be responsible for a group's actions, a small group's actions. But that, that would be... That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. But they just decide... 
Yeah, yeah, you're here, but you forget we don't like you guys because you left us to die to go fuck off on on some magical mystery tour in deep space. And you came back as a bunch of fascist assholes <laughs> who cry about eugenics. We're going to blow up your god. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't yeah. see anywhere else they could really go with this. That would be awesome. But they won't do it. They won't no, do it. No, they, they won't. Who, they'll, they'll revive Clan Burak, and they'll bring Clan Blood Spirit back. Revivals for everybody. Operation Bulldog didn't matter. Who cares? I'd love to see Mongoose back. Yeah, oh, Jesus. You know what? You want to give everyone a boner? Clan Wolverine comes back. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. You know who's going to write it? Blaine Pardo. Yeah, it's not going to be worth it. No, it's, <laughs> it's not, not going to be good. It's not going to be good. They're tearing down statues again. It's terrible. Oh, man. Hate is not hate. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, that, that that's basically our, our, our summary of, of Alexander Kerensky. You know, he's... he's a morally upstanding guy, but he has a lot of flaws, and his flaws are major factors in the events that happen in the universe. You know, and it, it goes all the way from not understanding what was happening with Amaris and Cameron, and not putting a stop to Cameron as a leader. Yeah, uh, to leaving the Terran hegemony defenseless, and the, the whole argument of of not wanting to make the first succession war any worse. I, I you know, that's. I, that's that's a, a lame argument. Anyway, you know, fair enough. It had to happen. You know, if they were to do this whole Arthurian myth and the SLF leaving, you know, fine. It, it happened. It happened. But it's to me, it was a bad decision because you left a whole bunch of planets completely defenseless and open to predation and war crimes by the five other successor states. Then you have not planning the Exodus out well at all and letting conflicts like the Prince Eugene happen. And then you've got the whole issue with the Pentagon Civil War and his awful sociopathic son taking charge and not realizing that if we're going to make a better society, we probably should have some sort of plan of something long term because he's over 100. Yeah. Being a shithead to the son, that's probably the most like him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's the other thing. Yeah. He was really hard on Andrew and you know, Andrew was the, the good son. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how the clans would have looked if Andrea was in charge. They probably wouldn't have looked at the clans at all. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That that I mean, hopefully that I mean that that makes sense to me. Right? That makes sense to you. And oh yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it makes sense to to you guys. I tried to stick up for him a little more though. Yeah. And Kerensky, but you know, if he yeah. wasn't a flawed person, then we'd get a dry character like Alaric. Yeah. An Howard Wolf. Yeah. Cardboard. Yeah, that's that's the thing too. Is again, he has flaws, and that's that's fine. You know, I don't I don't sit there and stew and think he's a terrible character. You know, obviously he meant well and he wanted better for everybody. But you know, these were major problems that are not really discussed too often, and I think are worth bringing up so that we get a fuller a fuller picture of the guy. Back in the day when we had like actual characters, man. Yeah. Really good characters. Yeah. With dimension. Yeah. More than more than an A4. Not dementia. <laughs> Not dementia. Yeah. From cryosleep. Or psychoses or whatever. Um, so yeah, guys. Uh, that's it. We're gonna leave you we're gonna leave you on this one. Uh, hopefully that was relatively short. I don't know, maybe it wasn't. Oh, there is we always say oh, it's gonna be a short one and it always ends up being an hour. I know. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think you know now we've, we've kind of come, we've completed our, our clan series, and we're gonna leave it at that. Uh, we will probably return. We thought about doing a cartoon retrospective. I would love to do the cartoon retrospective. We need something to build morale up before we cover our wolf. wolf. Yeah, because our wolf's going to be hard, and the cartoon's underrated. Yeah. Um, and I was also debating about whether or not I wanted to, because it's never going to be published. You know, it, it never would be. But I kind of, I had an idea for a novel of for Somerset Strikers. So maybe, maybe we might talk about it in the cartoon. Yeah, share my ideas of what what that would look like. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know eventually we're going to talk about Hour of the Wolf, and I think some of our disappointments with the last couple of novels and the fiction and some of the products um, that look snazzy, but I think have a lot of issues. And uh, you know, Hour of the Wolf was a big morale hit to me. You know, and yeah, you know, you the the thing was like the bar was set so high for that book because it is actually concluding the entire storyline. 35 years. 35 years. 35 years, and we get essentially nothing. Yeah. Or at least what felt like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it should have delivered on a hell of a lot more. It really should have. And I think all of the criticism it gets is completely fair. You know, I don't think we're being spoiled fans or, you know, trying to be like a referee on the sidelines. You know, I I think it's we have every right to complain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, especially Pardo's attitude towards the whole thing. Yeah, it's it hasn't been great. At it's all. it's pretty disgusting. Um, and for someone who's a professional writer to. I, we'll have to just get into more because it's going to it's going to involve a reread. It's going to involve a, a big, long breakdown. Uh, and you guys will understand why, you know, more so how disappointing it all is. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. You heard it here on the Memory Core. Far Country is a better book oh, than Hour of a Wolf. It is a way better book. Oh, my God. It's such a better book. It's way damn better. Oh, man. We will stand by that. Yeah. I will, I will stand by it. I will stand by it. <laughs> Okay, cool, guys. Peace out. We will see you... Uh, I don't know. It, it's going to involve a lot of alcohol to reread Hour of the Wolf. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably come back with the, the Somerset Strikers cartoon. Yeah. So much better. So, yeah. Stay tuned to... Eh? I'm pointing at Dan right now. So can... and I'm just staring at him blankly. <laughs> Stay tuned <laughs> to the next episode of... The Memory Core. <laughs> I don't know.